Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Common Sense Finance. On this podcast episode, Nick and I have the pleasure of speaking with Kevin Kamines from St. Peter's University, the Fine Arts Music Department. Thank you for coming on the podcast today. You're welcome. So before we get into the topics that we'd like to cover today, we find it very useful for our listeners, for the guests to kind of give some kind of detail into their own background. So would you be able to provide some insight into your background to help our listeners? Sure. I am a composer by trade, so I write music. Uh, Sometimes it's film music, sometimes it's stage music, sometimes it's concert music. Uh, My bread and butter, my bills are paid by being a church organist and a professional accompanist and also teaching part-time at St. Peter's, so I am also an educator. No, that's great. Um, And and as being a composer and someone in the music field, um, how would someone be able to start a career in music? All right. So first, training helps. Uh, training always helps. Uh, you know, and there's a lot of raw talent in the world, but it doesn't go very far without some training. And you know, so there are some artists who need about six months of lessons, and they become brilliant and can do everything they want to do, and that's great. There are others who take 20 years to learn a craft, and that is fine too. But training helps. Uh, Once you start moving about in the field, networking helps and getting to know people helps and going to the parties helps um, and being able to hold your own at the parties helps. Uh, It's a lot of schmoozing involved. Um, And then working for free helps. So uh, your first gigs, you're probably not going to get paid and that's fine. There is nothing wrong with with playing free gigs. Um, paid gigs come later, one hopes, and for the best of us, it does, and for some, it does not, and that's fine, too. Uh, fundamentally, though, you have to ask, how are the bills getting paid while you're pursuing the music? Does your day job require training? Um, some artists do want to you know, have a meaningful day job, so some artists are teachers, and they are still pursuing their art on the weekends and in the afternoons and the evenings, but they're spending their early mornings and their early afternoons teaching, and that's great. That's fine. Um, how are your bills being paid? That's important. And, you know, what are those jobs that you can do as a musician? Well, if you develop keyboard skills, you can be an accompanist. Um, you have to have pretty good keyboard skills to do that. But we're not talking concert pianist skills. We're talking basic level, being able to hold your own at a keyboard. And that's fine for being an accompanist most of the time. And there is a wide range of skills that accompany being an accompanist. Um, so along those lines, I said earlier, I am a church musician. I play the organ and the piano both. Um, and that is how I pay my bills. Um, and of course, there's always arts administration jobs. So working in arts administration jobs is great for networking. Um, I've done that in both the nonprofit sector as well as in the higher education sector. Um, and it's a great way to, way to network with other artists while you're earning your day job. Um, and sometimes getting training in arts administration is really helpful. So you can get a degree program, you can earn a a bachelor's or a master's degree in arts administration, and that can help forward the day job career while you're still pursuing your craft on the side over the weekends and evenings. And then eventually, if your craft is starting to make you money, you you plunge off the deep end and you quit the day job and you start relying on the craft to pay your bills um, and, uh, and hope that works. And it works until it doesn't. And then you go back to finding a way to pay your, your day job bills. I find it interesting, the parallels between the music industry and I guess the professional world, the business world in a sense where 
you mentioned the networking uh, as business students, Nick and I get, get a shoved down our throats to network, network, network. It's like the, your foot into any job position. And it's funny how that kind of correlates as well with the music industry. And even with the having a day job to supplement your passion, it's that's also the kind of the side hustle idea that you often hear in the business world where, yeah, you can have something on the side, but you need to have something that can actually pay your bills while you, you have this passion project. So I just thought those parallels were interesting to note. Yeah, and to follow up with Anthony said, uh, I believe there's a professor at St. Peter's uh, and just you know generally everywhere that uh, they, they teach from eight to nine, then they go on the stock market and trade from nine to four 9.30 to 4, and then they teach uh, like uh, night classes afterwards. So that, that just, you know, has like a comparison, like what Anthony was mentioning. Yeah, that's great work if you can do it. That's fabulous. <laughs> and then the next question that we had lined up is, so how difficult would it be for an artist to profit from the music from platforms like Apple Music and Spotify? Some people, I guess, on, on the outside looking in in the music industry probably see this one, the best ways to profit from their music sure. but it's it's probably more difficult than it seems correct um well it's changed it's changed a lot it's so much easier to get your work out into the public today um and let's let's think about it in terms of the way it conventionally used to work let's figure that out first and then try to figure out how the free market of the internet impacts this so in the past you had to perform the club circuit and hope to be seen by an A&R rep. An A&R rep, A&R stands for Artists and Repertoire. They're basically the low level record execs and their job is to manage blooming talent, starting talent. So you go on the club circuit, you hope an A&R rep sees you. If you're playing near Nashville, if you're playing near LA, if you're playing near New York or Boston, Chicago, Atlanta, there are record execs in all of those cities, uh, Nashville especially, but we know that. Um, and so you hope an AR rep, an ANR rep sees you and passes you up to the record execs at their label. And then, you know, hopefully the ANR rep pitches you and the record execs approve it. And then you get brought on to record an album. And now when you record an album, there's a whole lot of people who are spending a whole lot of money to help you do that. And they have to get paid back first. But it's even more complicated than that. So it's not just that the people who invested you have to get paid back first. It's also the writers of the music. Now, if you write your own music and you are the recording artist, then you've just basically given yourself the easiest revenue stream in the industry because the writers always get paid in the record industry. Um, it's an industry that was really founded by writers. So writers have always been able to take care of each other in record deals. So this is the way it works. And I have to look at my numbers to remember how the numbers all suss out. Um, all right. So if you are a writer of one song on one album, you get paid seven cents for that song every time that album sells. That's what the writer gets. Now I have to look at my notes for this. So, all right. Seven cents. If the album sells a million copies, you earn $70,000. That's pretty good. If the album sells 3 million, you earn 210, which is fabulous. Now, most people don't own one song on an album. In fact, most people own 10 songs on an album. So let's look at my notes for that math. 10 songs, a million albums sold earns 
used $700,000. 3 million albums sold earns you 2.1 million. So really what you want to be in the industry, you want to be a songwriter because they're the ones who get paid that and first. Now, all money left over from the sale then goes back to paying back record execs their investment of time and money, producers their investment of time and money, so they get paid off next. Then after all of that, the recording artist gets paid off or gets paid the, what's left. And that's when the recording artist can make bank, but you might have to sell a million copies before the recording artist itself starts to receive some money. So a lot of record uh, labels will front their artists some cash uh, to live on while they wait to recoup. And believe me, that cash won't be much and it won't go far. And then that investment has to also be recouped before the recording artist can start seeing some money. So really, the hardest job in the industry is the recording artist theirself. Now, a good recording artist is also able to perform in public. And so you get money for paying, playing in public. All right, that's another revenue stream. So that's great. You keep playing the club circuit until you can level up to the arena circuit and that's when you definitely don't need a day job anymore, but you've sold millions and millions of albums at that point. And, and talking about records, Professor, um, would you be able to explain how record deals work? Um, that's basically it. They front you some money to live on and they have to be paid back that off of your record deal. Um, usually most first record deals are like four to six album commitments. So take Taylor Swift as an example. Her first record deal was a six album commitment. Um, and I know we're gonna talk about masters in a little bit and we're going to have to come back to Miss Swift for that conversation. Uh, but basically your first record deal is a four to six album commitment. Um, they invest money in you. Uh, writers work with you. You develop the album with a producer. And all of those people get paid back their money, their time, and their own cash that they invested in your work. They get paid back before you get paid back. And this is one of the reasons why you want to be a writer on your own album, because that opens up a revenue stream early in the process of recouping the investment. Now, what you have to watch out for is a lot of record producers will also want a writer's credit. So they get part of that seven cents per album um, or 70 cents per album if you own all 10 songs. Um, and you know what? It's true. A lot of record producers do earn their writer's credit. They are co-writers on those songs, whether they're contributing mixing or instrumentation or orchestration, um, even going down to lyric revisions and, you know, edits, you know, edits to the arrangement where you might want to throw in a key change. Producers all contribute that level of information and good producers are also composers and, and you know, first class musicians as well. Good producers can sit down at a keyboard and hold their own. And there are good producers who are able to do that. They're the ones you really want to work with. So producers like Max Martin um, from Europe. Max Martin is absolutely brilliant. He's worked with everybody from Britney Spears to Taylor Swift um, and a whole lot of other artists in between. Um, and you always know a Max Martin song when you hear a Max Martin song. It's, it's, it's a pretty iconic thing. He's a record producer that can hold his own. And 
based on what you said, I definitely see where some, I guess, young up, up and coming recording artists can go afoul, right? They can go astray if they're fronted this big, you know, they're fronted all this cash. And for some reason, they underperform expectations. You're kind of not being able to recuperate all those earnings that you anticipated once you signed that deal. That is very astute. And so there is a whole other part of a record deal for failure. If your albums don't recoup investment, there is a clause in all record deals that says the record producer, the label can withdraw the contract with the recording artist and set them loose. Some artists choose not to fulfill their commitments, but then can't move on to work with another record producer until they are released from their previous labels. So you can get yourself into trouble. And there have been artists that have tried to run out that clock, some successfully, some not successfully, but there is a clause for failure. Yeah. So the next question, before, uh, Nick and I had a little fight over that one. <laughs> so, really? Tell me why. Why a fight? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We um, let's see who was going to ask the question first because, like, I thought he was going to ask it. So we touched on masters recordings a little bit. Would you be able to go into more detail about masters recordings and the issues surrounding it? You mentioned Taylor Swift. That was, you know, front page news a few months back. So would you be able to touch on that topic a little bit? Yeah, so the master is the definitive original copy of a recording, and there is only one per song in the whole world. From that copy, all copies are made. So the master is really important. Now, in the past, the master was an audio tape, and with the advent of CDs, the master became a hard drive. Uh, now, to give you some context, I still have a hard drive that is the master of my first album that I recorded 20 years ago, and I also have the master in CD form as well, and all copies of that album derive from that CD, with the exception of the stuff that is now streaming. So... Now I'm careless with my master's recordings and I just leave them on my desktop attacked by ransomware. So we won't talk about what happens to my masters if that ever happens, but now I'm careless with them and that's fine too. But the one thing I would never do is sell my master because they define what happens to the music which can be very lucrative. Think about the Friends theme song. That group was a one hit wonder, but they wrote that one song and it got licensed by that one television show, which lasted for 50,000 years. That's a lot of money. Every, and in syndication, no less, every time that song plays on the television, that band gets money. The writers get money for that song. So that's, it's a lot of success right there, that one song. So, and that is licensed from the master. You license the master. So the owner of the master is the one who gets paid for that license. A lot of record deals for early artists sell the master to the label. And when someone wants to license a song or when that recording artist wants to use that song somewhere, 
they have to get permission from the owner of the master, which is why you really want to hold on to the ownership of your master as best you can, because that is what controls the future of that work. Now, Taylor Swift, of course, as we mentioned, she had that problem and she's lost all control of the first six albums she recorded. And Miss Swift has a lot of money to spend. And so because of that, she is re-recording all six of her first albums. They are practically identical tracks. There are slight differences because time has passed and she's not a teenager anymore. They're great. They sound wonderful. So why not? This is a really creative solution to a problem that has dogged artists for decades upon decades upon decades and not to be trite, but there is also a racial component to this. So there has been a lot of circumstances where minority artists get more raw record deals and especially where they don't retain full ownership of their copyright. So they are the writers of their work, but they don't retain full ownership of that. They turn over ownership of their master. They are, you know, basically systematically gypped out of ways to earn money off of their craft. And of course, all arts, this is a very dangerous thing I'm about to say, but I'm gonna say it, all arts, have experienced the intrusion of non-artists finding ways to make money off of someone else's art, you know? But we do need managers. We do need representation, you know? We can't do all the schmoozing for our own selves. We need people to connect us to where our careers can go next. And that is where managers and advisors come into play, agents especially. And that's really important too. And like you mentioned, you know, having someone by your side, right, essentially, because you can't do everything for yourself. What advice would you give to someone looking for a job in this current environment? Well, if, if you can work within the field, you're doing great. And you really are living off of your craft. So if you can do arts administration, great. There are ways to do that on the side. There are ways to do that full-time. Sometimes you have to get a degree to do that day job. If it's worth it, do it. If it means having a little bit more money to spend on your craft, because here's the other thing. We don't need record labels anymore. I mean, we do. Yes, we do, but we don't because we can all create our own content now. You know, we... Just 20 years ago, you had to go into a studio to record an album. You really did need to do it in a studio or it was going to be a really bad sounding album out of your garage. No, you can't do that. You can't make money off of that. It has to sound good. Uh, now we can do it with an iPhone. Now we can do it with an Android. Now we can do it with an iPad. Now I can do it with my desktop. I have been. This is this is you're in my studio right now. Um, hello, welcome. I'm glad to have you on board. Um, we can all do this without a label now. There are so many ways to make music without a label's investment. And, you know, we have examples like Lil Nas X, who demonstrates that, yes, you can make your own music and make your own music videos using the electronics available to us today and then get the attention of an A&R rep at Columbia, who then signs you because you are a breakout master of the industry. It happens, great. We can all do this for ourselves now. So first, use the tools that you that you can, but you want good tools. So use your day job to your advantage. Invest in your craft. Um, invest in the tools of your craft and get things online in front of faces. 
Um, that's the best you can do. And again, if you can work and pay your bills from your craft and something adjacent to it, if you can be an educator, if you can teach lessons out of your apartment, if you can work in a school, if you can be an arts administrator, if you can usher at a Broadway show, um, the Pulitzer Prize winner for last year, Michael um, Jackson um, for Strange Loop. It was an incredible piece. He was an usher for more than a decade that's how he paid his bill while he was pursuing his craft. He showed up. He never stopped pursuing his craft. And now he's a Pulitzer Prize winner. It's just like, oh, okay, hello, that's great. He was an usher forever. And now he's a working artist. I honestly love that. And I feel like it's a very realistic approach to take. I feel like there are some people who say, you know, go all in and don't worry about anything else. Just go fully commit to you know, that passion of yours, but if it doesn't generate you the money to live on a day-to-day -day basis, it's kind of, you're putting yourself in a bad spot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's dangerous to move to a foreign city and not have a plan to land. Um, you know, Taylor Swift, she had the, the good fortune of a family that it could afford, could afford to move. Sorry, my computer is shutting down. Uh, not the one I'm talking on, just the one that's lighting me. <laughs> Um, cause it's the end of the day and I don't want the bright lights on anymore. Um, Taylor Swift, she had the good fortune of a family that could move from Pennsylvania to Nashville just to support her burgeoning identity and desire and career. They did that when she was a teenager and Taylor Swift, she went with a demo door to door from studio to label to studio through Nashville, um, and never got seen. And she played local coffee shops until a small labels A&R rep saw her and that's when she got signed because she played a local coffee shop in Nashville because she had the good fortune of her family moving to Nashville. But that was more than a decade ago. We have so much more technology that puts our material in front of eyes, but getting your material in front of eyes takes time. It takes time to be seen. So having a day job to support yourself, even if it's a barista, that's fine. Be a barista. That's great. Do it. Save up to buy the latest Mac so that you have the best tools to make your craft. And nothing's wrong about being a barista. Starbucks gives out stock options and it's great. Yes. I mean, there's nothing wrong, you know, period, in being a barista. Absolutely. <laughs> and nothing wrong with working at the Mac store either. Exactly. I know a lot of writers who work at the Mac store. Um, one thing I wanted to comment on, you mentioned like your explanation of the master's recording. It really made me think about the whole NFT thing that's yes. uh, taking off is, I don't know if you have any uh, knowledge of the subject, but would you say that it's pretty much the same thing just on surface level? You know, when I was thinking about how I was going to um, explain a master recording, I almost went the NFT route. And I just thought the only problem with the analogy is, do you make copies of an NFT? I, I don't. I don't think you. Like from what I understand, the way you explain the master's recording is the same exact explanation I've received for an NFT. Like it's the original copy. You have sole ownership of it. Yes. So I think it's kind of from what I. It sounded one and the same to me from like explanations I've heard. Yes, I almost went the NFT analogy and I decided I didn't because the intent of a master is the creation of copies. 
it's supposed to sit in a factory and produce copies, um, which then produce other copies of other copies. Um, but technically all copies are supposed to come from the master. Yeah, so I thought I thought that was interesting. So I'm I'm curious to see if that this development with NFTs would, you know, maybe affect the music industry going forward. If that were the case, it'd be interesting to see. It's something I've thought about. But honestly, I I had a great conversation with you, Professor. You touched on a number of topics, and I think you honestly broke down. Like Nick and I are that we're not into music at all like this especially when it comes to the business aspect and you broke down the topics that we had laid out very effectively we understood it very well uh nick i don't know if you have any comments i know 100 like most of our listeners right are also you know generally business majors but you know we we serve everyone but no your explanations was very concise to someone that isn't very familiar with music it's important, it's important to remember we live in a capitalist society. The art has to make money. Artists have to pay their bills. We have rent, we eat food. We live in a capitalist society. The art has to make money. And if it doesn't, something else has to. Yeah, I, I definitely think that's a good takeaway for people who look are looking to actively engage and pursue a career in this industry i think it, 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 like i said earlier i think it's the most realistic approach to have yeah. but thank you for coming on today we really appreciate it we, we appreciate the time that you took out of your schedule to do this so thank you my pleasure it was a joy gentlemen thank, thank you. you professor have a great week you, you too. too thank you, thank you.